another. And I started, I started thinking about this message, and I started thinking about just an example that I could use of, uh, of, of loving each other. And I started thinking about this church that I was a part of, man, I guess it's been 30, 30, 31 years ago since I first attended a church in Jackson, Mississippi called Briarwood Drive Baptist Church. None of you have ever heard of Briarwood Drive Baptist Church in Jackson, Mississippi. In fact, I don't even know that I don't even know that the church even exists anymore. But I remember that church, and I don't remember them because they had uh, a really good pastor who spoke really well. I don't remember them because they had cool music, because they had awesome facilities. I don't remember that church necessarily because they had a like a, a great uh, a great uh, calendar or because they were well known. I remember that church because of the love that they showed to me as an 18-year-old, brand-new Christian, still rough around the edges, still had the stench of the world on me. And they loved me, they cared for me, they accepted me, they were patient with me. And after the course of, I guess, about three years, four years, five years, something like that, eventually they ordained me uh, to the gospel ministry. This past week, I, I was looking in my office, and, uh, you know, when you get ordained, you get this little piece of paper, and uh, people sign it, and I looked at the names on there of the people who had signed my ordination certificate, and I just remembered some of those people and just how loving and how kind they were to me when I was just uh, just a young punk kid, just brand new, uh, brand new saved. And I, rem I remember them uh, because of the way that they accepted me and the way that they loved me, but even more than that, I, I learned something new from, uh, uh, or excuse me, I learned something important from, uh, from them. I, um, I remember them because of the way that they loved each other. Not just the way that they loved me, uh, but the way, the way that they loved each other. I saw Christianity in action because of the way that they loved each other. And over the course of 31 years, I have learned that this is this is really one of the ways that you judge, so to speak, I want to use that term in a good way, that you judge a church. We tend to look at all the outside things that we see whenever we pull up in the parking lot and walk in, and we look at all types of different things. Did I like the music? Was the pastor nice? Do they have programmings for my kids? We, we tend to look at all of those types of things. But I have learned that one of the ways that you judge whether or not a church is really where it needs to be is you look and you see how well they care for and love each other. That is an indicator as, as to whether or not they're following the commands of Jesus in a lot of other ways. And so we're going to look at this. We've been, so for those of you who had not been here, we've been looking at some, some characteristics of what it means to be a true believer. And we do, we're looking at these characteristics because we can self-analyze and it gives us assurance that we know the Lord. And so we've looked at several of these as we've been in 1 John. And I want to talk about this one today. I want to talk about this one. This is a recognizable characteristic of a true believer. A true believer loves God's people. A true believer loves God's people. 
people. Now that makes sense because if we love Jesus, we're going to love what Jesus loves. Um, but we're going to see in our passage today that this is, that this is pretty clear. So I want to ask you to open your copy of God's Word, and we're going to read from 1 John chapter 3. Stand with me if you don't mind. 1 John chapter 3. Let's give attention to what God's Word says, starting in verse 11. And here's what John says. Here's what God's Word tells us. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. From the beginning. We should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brothers. Let me, let me emphasize that again. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brothers and sisters. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us love not in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for loving us. Lord, teach us how to continue to love one another. Teach us from your word today. Speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So, love. You know, I always, I always have to add a disclaimer in there anytime I start talking about love. Because a lot of the times when we start talking about love, it gives us the image of some kind of touchy-feely, soft, you know, compromising form of Christianity. And, uh, and, and we, really, we, really, we really don't want to project that image. After all, if our view of Christianity and our philosophy of church is nothing more than love one another, don't judge others, that's not Christianity, that's, that's, that's Oprah. Uh, some of you have no idea who that is. There's a lot more to Christianity than just some soft, touchy-feely, compromising, don't offend people type of love. However, it is important that we understand what the Bible says about love because the Bible talks about love 800 times. 800 times we see this word used all throughout Scripture. And so obviously it's important. And the Bible tells us um, and gives us commands about who to love and about how to love and about when to love and what love ultimately looks like. We see this all throughout Scripture when the Bible tells us, for example, that we're to love God. We have That's our first and greatest commandment is to love God. And then we have commandments in Scripture that tell us to, to love others, to love our neighbor, to love the world around us. We see commands in Scripture where the Bible says us to love our enemies. Now that's a hard one. That's a really difficult one. To love people that hate us, to love people that don't like us, that abuse us, and to persecute us. 
There's all types of commands we see in Scripture about love. But this one, this one is really important. It's really important that we understand what the Bible is telling us to do. This is not a form of indiscriminate love that the Bible is telling us to do in this passage. This is God's Word telling us to love each other. God's Word commands Christians to love other Christians. God's Word commands that within a community of faith, that as individuals that we should love other individuals, but also that love should be a defining characteristic of an atmosphere of a community of believers and of a church. We see that this is a central command in the Bible, a central command. And do you know, I, I can tell you, and I hope that you can give this same testimony, that some of the most loving people that I have ever met have been in churches. Now listen, I'm not saying that every person that I have ever met in a church has been loving. That would be a lie. And you obviously have met some people in churches that were not loving. I mean, after all, you've met people in your neighborhood that are not loving. You've met people at work that are not loving. You've met people all over the place that are not loving. So it, it follows that since a, the church is a collection of people from all of those places in the world, that it makes sense that we're going to find people with flaws in church. We're going to find people that don't have the nature of Christ and the Spirit of Christ in church. But I'm going to tell you something. We are going to find the most loving people on the planet. We're going to find them among God's people. I remember some of the churches that I've been at before. I remember, for example, I told you about Briarwood Drive Baptist Church. I can still see the faces of people that just loved one another and cared for one another. Uh, uh, First Baptist Church of Lexington, Mississippi. Taylor's First Baptist Church in Greenville, South Carolina. Trinity Baptist Church uh, right here in Tennessee in Manchester. In all of these places where I have been, I have, I have met people that have been loving. And one of the characteristics that I see in Stephen Street Baptist Church and have from the beginning is I see a characteristic in which you love each other. Now, I'm not talking about, please understand, I'm, 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 not, I'm not saying that, that, uh, that I see and appreciate your love for me. Certainly, I, I do appreciate that. What I'm pointing out to you today is I see you as a church carrying out this central command in the way that you love each other. I hear reports weekly. People, I, I hear testimonies from people weekly about things that you have done for each other. I had someone come up to me after the service and said, you know what? People from this church did something for me this past week. And some of you were, uh, were among them that helped, uh, that helped a widow move. And she needed some help and some people got together and did it. I hear stuff like that every single week. People come up to me and say, thank you. And I'm like, for what? And they're like, your church did such and such for me. And I'm like, I get no credit for that. 
They, the, I didn't even, I, I, a lot of times I'm like, I had no idea that you even had a need. The people in the church saw it. And they cared for you. And we see that all the time when there's sickness, when there's death, when there's hardship, when there's struggles, when there's, when there's trials and tribulations. We see our church people loving each other. And I, lo- I, I absolutely love to see that. And you want me to tell you where I see it the most? I see it the most in life groups. I cannot tell you how many times someone has come up to me and they have said, my life group was there for me when such and such happened. I had, a, I, had, I had someone that passed away, and my life group was there uh, for me. I was going through a sickness, and my life group gave me meals. I was having a hard time, or I just had a child, and my life group organized meals for me. I hear it all the time, especially coming from life groups. There is nothing that puts God's will on display more for a church and validates us as the people of God more than whenever we love one another. Jesus said this in John chapter 13, verse 34 through verse 35. He said, love one another. This is where obviously John got it from. Jesus said, love one another. And he said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You want to find a group of people. You want to find a church that is legitimate. Judge them by how well they treat each other other. I I sometimes wonder why we don't do this more. I sometimes wonder why people look around and shop for a church. Why is it it the first thing that they look at the the church has to do with the speaker, that I like like what he said. And I do think that we need to preach biblical sermons. Or they they look at the music and they say, well, did I like what happened on stage? Did the singers do a good job? Or they look at the kids' ministry. Wow, does it, you know, is it, does it appeal to me? But this is how Jesus says, that we can find the true people of God. This is the way that we display to a watching world that we are of Christ by how we love each other. So important as a central command. But what the Bible says in this passage uh, is uh, don't be like Cain. Now that's an interesting statement, isn't it? We should not be like Cain. Some of you say, well, now wait a minute, who's... Who was, who was Cain? This is God's Word telling Christians not to be like Cain. If you remember the story of Cain and Abel, Cain and Abel were brothers, um, uh, and they were, uh, their, their mother and father was Adam and Eve, and, uh, uh, and they, were, they presented an offering to God. They present, as an act of worship to God, Cain brought some produce, all right, uh, some vegetables or whatnot. Um, Abel did the right thing. He brought some good fatty meat. Amen? Some good fat portions. You know, not all that green healthy stuff. He brought some good fat portions. Probably some bacon in there somewhere. Who knows? Um, he brought a, a different offering. And so it's, it's not like that God said, Cain, you're horrible, you're terrible, I'm never going to accept you as a person. Um, but, but the Bible says that God accepted the offering of Abel Uh, more than he did the offering of Cain. And the major problem was was what happened inside of Cain as a result of that. He started to feel jealous over his brother. Uh, He got angry and he got bitter inside of himself. He began to hate him 
And so when Noah was looking, he killed him and he murdered him in a field. Now I started thinking about this verse, and it reminded me of something that I have said to you several times. The question of how are churches destroyed? What does the Bible say about how to keep a local church from being destroyed? And there's really two main things, two warnings that we see over and over and over and over in the New Testament. And both of them are internal warnings. One of them, one of, both of them John warned us about, but one of them is false doctrine. The Bible consistently warns, said, listen, if you want to survive as a church, you have to have sound doctrine. And that's something that we guard. If you want to destroy a church, uh, destroy the doctrine, or create disunity and a loss of love. These are the two things that we are warned about that are highly destructive towards congregations more than anything else in Scripture. And so when the Bible says, don't be like Cain, what God's Word is saying is, obviously, don't kill each other. Uh, let's, let's not do that. Obviously, that, that's a given. But when Scripture says, don't be like Cain, uh, what Scripture is saying is, don't do all the things that are unloving and destroy relationships. Uh, don't be gossipy towards each other. Don't be critical and divisive and negative and condescending and self-righteous and argumentative. You see, all of these things, all of these things cause a loss of love to happen. And the world's posture is, is that of Cain towards us. The world hates Christians. Um, there's, there's enough people in the world hating Christians that Christians don't need to be hating each other. There's enough enemies on the outside of the church that we don't want to see people made enemies of each other on the inside of the church. But the interesting thing that I see about this is the Bible never, the Bible never points to external threats as, uh, as something that could destroy us. I, I, I found that pretty interesting. In fact, the Bible says, don't be surprised when the world hates you. Guard yourself against hating each other and division and a loss of love against each other. Guard against that, warn against that, because that could destroy you. But don't be surprised when the world hates you. I mean, that is their posture against us. I find that a lot of Christians get outraged over this. And I, I've, that's, I've, that's always been curious to me. Because all throughout church history and in Scripture, there's this promise that we're going to be persecuted. But not one time is persecution stated as something that is a threat to Christianity's existence. We don't ever see that. But yet we have Christians that just... They just get in an outrage every time the world uh, starts to, to hate Christians because of our righteousness. That's what it says. Uh, it's because, because of righteousness' sake. And um, I just, uh, I, I don't know why we need to be, I don't know why we need, to, we need to be so upset all the time that the world doesn't believe like we do when it comes to Scripture, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to, 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 to all the things. It says don't, don't be surprised about that. Um, the, the threat to our existence is not persecution. And some people would say, well, listen, if, if you want to destroy a church, you take away its political influence. If you want to destroy a church, you, you take away its, its freedom of religion. If you want to destroy, oh, or some people would take an economic route. If you want to destroy a church, let it go broke. Uh, some people would say, take a ministerial route. 
Oh, if you want to destroy a church, stop doing missions and outreach. Or some people would take a leadership route, say, well, if you want to destroy a church, you know, you kill its leadership. You know, those, those things are not nearly as effective as getting a church to preach false doctrine and to fight among itself. Those are the things that the Bible warns us about. And uh, so this is why in 1 John chapter 3, we, verse 14, we see that true Christians love Christians. True Christians don't have a posture towards churches and towards Christians, pe- Christian people that, that are the same as the world. True Christians love Christians. Now listen, I know you don't love everything about every Christian. I, I, I don't either. That's, that's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about some illusion of perfect unity in which no one ever give, gets upset and no one ever complains. Obviously, that's not, obviously that's not what, we're, what we're talking about. But ultimately, true Christians love Christians. They want to be around them. They want to be with them. They want to worship with them. They want to support them and care for them and love them and nurture them. That's what true Christians do. This is one of the distinguishing characteristics of a true believer. And it's one of those things that helps to give us assurance. We can ask ourselves, do I love God's church? Do I love God's people? Do I love being around God's people? If the answer to that is yes, it's one of those indicators that you can have assurance that you have eternal life. This, this so, and I, I think about, I think a lot of times about how we're criticized. There's a lot of things that are that churches are criticized over. I was interacting with someone online the other day, and they were criticizing Christian people for something that I thought was very minuscule and was very small. And I told this person, I said. There's a lot of easier ways to pick on us and criticize us than that. I mean, there's, there's, because obviously we have, we have flaws. We have, we have a lot of flaws. One of the things that people call us, is they call us homophobic. I can see why the world would call us homophobic considering what we believe God's Word says about men and women and how they should marry one man, one woman for life and what we believe about our sexual ethic. I, I, I can see why they would call us, for example, narrow-minded. We believe there's one way to salvation and Jesus himself even said it is a narrow road. So I can see how the world would call us that. I, I, can, see how, I can see how the world would call us hypocritical. I get it. I mean, I can be hypocritical. We can be hypocritical. We're human beings. I don't know very many human beings that don't have a measure of hypocrisy inside of them. I can even see why the world might would even perceive us as being intolerant. Because we have a belief that certain things are sinful and we're, we're, we're not going to change our minds. There's no amount of psychology, there's no amount of cultural acceptance that's going to make us change our mind and somehow tolerate what God says is is intolerable. I can see why the world would say that we're mean-spirited. I mean, after all, we can be, we can be pretty strong in some of our rebukes, and, and we can use words and language that, that sometimes come across very harsh and, and, and very strong. And I don't like these, I don't like these titles, homophobe, uh, narrow-minded, hypocritical, intolerant, mean-spirited. I don't, I, don't, I don't like to be 
called those things. I don't, I don't choose to be called those things. But here's something that we should never, ever, ever be allowed to be said against us. We should never, it should never be said that we don't love one another. This is at the core of our witness. It should never be able to be said that we don't love one another. People should look at a, at a group of Christians and all Christians in general, and they should say, man, I know those people worship Jesus because they really stick together and they really love one another and they really care for one another. They should be able to say, you know what, uh, I may not agree with, their, with what they believe about sexuality. I don't really like their stance on sin. I mean, it seems pretty harsh. We should be able to say, you know, it's, it's one thing. They may be hypocritical, but let me tell you what. They love one another. I, 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 can de- I can deal with that. This is what should be said about every church. Every church. It should be the goal of every church, of every group of Christians to, to display such a witness that people would say, you know what, whatever flaws they have, those people love each other. This is the, this is the goal of what we want to see. And how are we supposed to do it? We're supposed to love like Jesus. We're supposed to love like Jesus. This is a, a, a major contrast that we see in these verses. We see a contrast between Cain, who is a murderer, who took a life, and Jesus, who gave his life and is an example of love. What a stark contrast between someone who selfishly and jealously hates someone and takes a life and someone who selflessly says, I'm going to give up my life for someone else. You know, there's lots of ways that love can be measured. I would really say there's three ways that you can judge love. And I would say really any type of love, but especially Christian love. You can measure love through words. Words are important. I believe words are incredibly important. I'm a person that deals with words. I, I speak. I want to say words that are, that are accurate, right? So words are important. The Bible warns us in James chapter 2 about our words. And I believe that saying I love you is absolutely important. It, what we say is an important indicator of love. I also believe that emotions are important when it comes to love. I believe that you ought to love God so much, it should just burst inside of you emotionally. You should love your spouse and your kids. I believe emotions are an important part of love. But you know, those two things, words and emotions, they're, they're, they're really not genuine unless they are displayed through actions of love. Actions of love. Actions of love. And specifically, sacrifice. You see, sacrifice sometimes doesn't feel like we want it to. Sometimes, whenever we love someone, we may not be feeling some, have some touchy-feely emotion inside of us, but yet we are displaying on the outside a correct action. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He was experiencing intense pain and intense loss and separation between him and God the Father. But yet his action of sacrifice is what defined it. Christian love 
always involves sacrifice. I want you to think about the people that you feel have loved you the most in this world. Think about the individual people that you feel have loved you the most in this world. It is not because they have just said the words, I love you. Not just because they have given you some affectionate emotion. But you feel loved by them because they have given themselves to you. They have sacrificed themselves for you in some type of way. They have done that for you. And see, Cain took a life, but Jesus gave his life. Jesus is the perfect example. Love is costly. It's costly. It costs us words. It costs us emotions. And it costs us actions. And Jesus did it absolutely perfect. We have Jesus' words recorded in Scripture. We have a glimpse into how Jesus felt emotionally on the inside in Scripture. And we certainly have Jesus' actions culminating on the cross. Jesus did it absolutely perfect. He felt the right way all the time. He said the right words all the time. And he did the right thing every time. Now, we don't, right? Sometimes we don't feel the right way on the inside, but somehow we say the right thing. Sometimes we feel the right thing on the inside, but we say the wrong thing. Sometimes we feel the wrong thing, say the wrong thing, and somehow get lucky and do the right thing. Jesus, if we're going to love like Jesus did, we have to feel the right way, we have to say the right things, and we have to do the right thing, the right way, sacrificial like Jesus did. This is what Jesus said in John 15, verse 12 through 13. He says, this is my commandment that you have loved one another. Do it in a certain way as I have loved you sacrificially. And he says, greater love is no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. So true Christians love Christians and want to make sacrifices for those Christians and for the community of faith. And there's a simple test, by the way, that we see in Scripture. Not the only test, but a simple test that we see how this can be measured. And it talks about how if a person has the world's goods, sees that someone has a legitimate need, and they close their heart against them. This is one of the ways uh, one of the ways that John says that love can be tested. Now there's lots of different ways that you can that you can uh, that you can test love to see if what comes out of someone's heart is is legitimate. But John says this is one way. If you have the world's goods and you see that someone has a need and you refuse to meet that need, then John would say how can the love of God really be in you if you have an opportunity to love one another, but you don't, you don't take uh, that opportunity? One of the things that I love about Stephen Street, and you guys have been doing this for over 20 years. You guys were doing this before I came along. But every time I glance across this back parking lot and I see the care center, I, I, I am filled with pride for Stephen Street, and I hope that's not spiritual pride. But I think, man, my church wants to, my church who has the world's goods, and we do, we have the world's goods, 
I mean, you just saw in the announcement video, we're doing retreats, and we have kids' stuff, and we have all the, all the things. We have a great facility, a building, a staff, a budget. We have, a, we, ha- we have the world's goods, but we also give it away. We also give it away to people, and the care center is just one of those examples among the community of faith where we say, if you have a need, we want to give it away. And such a, such a great example. I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't mention our care center. But some of you do this individually. I know for a fact that many of you uh, travel around. Some of you, some of you like to go, some of you like to go banquet hopping with some of our mission partners, and you know what I'm talking about. You know, you'll go to you'll go to a rising above banquet, or you'll go to a cookable pregnancy clinic banquet, or you go to a BCM banquet, or you'll go to a Young Life banquet, and I can't even remember all of them. We have like 15 or 20 mission partners in town, and sometimes I'll, I'll make my way to a banquet or two, and I see so many Stephen Streeters, and the only reason that you're there is because you want to love, and you want to give, and you want to pour out, and you want to support those ministries that are out in the community. You love these Christians who are doing this work. That's an evidence that we love the Lord, is we love His people, and we want to support His people. You see, you do this every time you sign up for a mission trip, and you pay thousands of dollars to travel across the world to sit in a small hut with, with, that's packed with maybe uh, 20 uh, uh, believers from India just to encourage them and read the Bible over them and pray for them and love them and help them to share the gospel. You are loving Christians. You're loving God when you love Christians in that way. And you'll never meet them again. If you get on an airplane and you go uh, across and you go on a mission trip, you'll meet some Christians that you will never, ever meet again in this world. But you pray for them, you love them, you support them, you encourage them. And why do you do that? You do that because you love the Lord. You see, that's part of what it means to be a believer, is to give of ourselves and pour ourselves out. For others, And there's so many ways that all of us do this. And the Bible basically encourages us to do it more when it says love one another. So I see some application in these verses to individual relationships, obviously. I see some application in these verses for the community of faith in general, like I just mentioned. But I also see some application in these verses to the Christian life in general. Now think about this. In order to get saved, you have to sacrifice yourself. Jesus said you have to take up a cross and follow me. In order to, in order to even enter into a relationship with Jesus, you have to display a total abandon, a love of God. God, I'm going to love you first by sacrificing myself. When we talk about the gospel and when we talk about getting saved, Oftentimes, we talk about the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and how he gave his life. And sometimes we don't talk enough about how you also, you have to give your life. You have to sacrifice your life. It is your first act of love towards God is to say, Lord, I give up everything. I give up all my desires. I give up all the things that I want. I give up all my ambitions. God, I give to you my schedule, all my time, all my talents, all my treasure. God, I give it all to you. I lay it at the altar. You are in charge now. You use it however you want. That is an act of sacrifice. 
You know, in the Old Testament, they brought the blood of bulls and animals and goats, and they killed that sacrifice and laid it on the altar. And the way that we worship now is we give ourselves. We sacrifice ourselves. We say, Lord, everything I am is yours and belongs to you. And we don't just do it one time. The Bible says that we do it over and over and over again as we live our life. Romans chapter 12 says that we're to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. It's a constant daily thing. And then, of course, we do this as we live on mission. I want to ask you to pray in response. Three things. Three things I want to ask you to pray about and consider. Number one, I want to ask you how well are you... How well are you following the command to love one another? And by that, how well are you loving God's people? I don't mean an indivi- as, as an individual loving another individual. I'm talking about how well are you loving God's people in general? The Bible says don't be like Cain. The Bible says love one another. How well are you doing this? I want to ask you to, I want to, ask you to pray about that. And then number two, I want to ask you, Who is someone that you need to love better? I guarantee you all of us have someone that we feel, probably pretty much everyone that we're close to, uh, and especially those that live in our own house, our our spouses, our children, we could say, yeah, I need to to do better at that. I need to do better at, at giving myself, not just living in the same house as them, but actually giving myself over to them and loving them. Maybe you need to, I want you to, I want you to pray about that. And number three, here's what I want you to pray about. Have you ever felt Jesus' love for you? This is how you initiate. This is what it means to be in a relationship with God. Not just that He's given you all these rules and you're trying really hard to obey so that you can try to hopefully please Him. That is not a love relationship. That's not how a love relationship works. A love relationship is not you trying to perform. For someone's affection. That's, that's, not, that's, that's not what it means. A love relationship is, I know that I'm loved, and I want to live in a way that is pleasing to that person, not so that I can earn their love, but so that, so that I can display my love to them. Have you felt Jesus' love for you? Some, some of you would say, I just don't feel very lovable. I just, there's just not much to me to love. You don't know what I, you would say, Pastor Scott, you don't know what I've done. You don't, you don't know the person that I am. No, I don't, but God does. And my Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we were still in rebellion, while we were not loving him, he loved us first. And so I want to ask you to, I want to ask you to pray about those three things. How well are you loving God's people? Is there someone that you need to love better? And have you felt Jesus' love for you? And if you haven't, you can call on his name. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes.